Well, we do know that they can get it from the cave environment. So this work actually is still not yet published, but uh, was done by Al Hicks at the Department of Environmental Conservation um, in New York, where he actually took um, some bats that were not infected and put them into a, a cave uh, or a mine um, that had had infection the previous year and, and made it so that bats couldn't go in or out and they all got infection and, and died. So we know that they can get it from, um, the, from an environmental reservoir, uh, which is actually not good news for the bats because it means that even if there's just a few left, they can still um, pick it up from the, from the cave. But they also get it from, from each other, most likely. Um, there's been um, uh, work done in the lab that shows that if you infect a bat with um, the fungus, that it can infect other bats. Right, so the fungus, we now know that the fungus um, is coming from Europe, and um, the way that we know that is that um, a, after uh, the discovery of white-nose syndrome and, and the fact that it, was that it was caused by Geomyces destructans, the fungus, in North America, we, um, researchers in the white-nose syndrome community uh, started reaching out to European researchers and um, said, hey, have you guys seen anything like this in Europe? And it turns out that there um, is, was lots of photographs and um, evidence that uh, there bats, it's really common in Europe for hibernating bats to have white stuff on their faces. So a couple of folks um, went and started um, sampling bats in Europe and found out that there is um, Geomyces destructans growing on bats in Europe and a number of different species um, in uh, countries really all over Europe. So using the, um, the same sort of uh, molecular diagnostics uh, um, either through um, what we call quantitative PCR to, to identify the, the DNA of the fungus and or actually um, culturing the fungus and um, looking at it on a, a microscope and um, seeing that it has the same characteristics. We found it on a bunch of species in Europe. There are, there's no evidence that bats, um, because the, the, the there are no species that are the same in North America versus Europe. There's really no chance that a bat's going to accidentally fly from Europe um, to North America. And so um, the fungus most basically almost had to get here through some means of, of human trade or travel. Now there's a number of different competing hypotheses. Um, uh, the, sort of the sort of most plausible uh, explanation is that somebody visited a cave in Europe um, and then went to House Cavern, which is where white-nose syndrome was first detected. And House Cavern is a, a commercial tourist cave that, that tourists go and visit every year and probably had um, sort of dirt on their boots still that had um, some of the fungus um, on their boots. That's the most likely. Other, there's some other ideas that perhaps a, a bat got stowed away on a shipping bunker. Albany is a port town, and if a, a shipping bunker had a bat in it and it came into the port, then the bat kind of got out of the shipping bunker and it you know, found the nearest place to roost. Um, that's also potentially plausible, but in, in any case, um, humans are, uh, were implicated in how it got here because there's no way that a, a bat would have flown across the Atlantic.
The fungus, uh, Geomyces destructans, is in Europe, um, but, the, but white-nose syndrome is a disease where it's actually killing bats, does not exist in Europe, um, as far as we know. So the bats are actually living with it just fine in Europe. And we still don't know why that is. We don't know if it's just that it's been there for a very long time in Europe. We do have a sense that it's been there for a very long time in Europe in the sense that um, genetically it looks very diverse there and not very diverse at all in, in North America. Um, that's some unpublished work by a friend of mine um, and colleague. Um, but uh, so we don't, so if it's been there for a very long time, maybe the bats have sort of co-evolved with it. Um, but uh, we don't know if it, some people think maybe it's um, uh, the fact that um, colony sizes tend to be smaller in Europe, but we don't, uh, I'm actually working on an analysis to address just precisely that question right now. Um, and so there's uh, hypotheses at this point, but no good answers as to why bats are um, so severely affected here in North America and are l apparently living with the fungus just fine in Europe. There are no species of bats um, that occur both in Europe and in North America. So um, the two faunas are, are quite separate. Um, there is a pretty high diversity of bats in Europe, actually. Um, and we have the same genera. So there are lots of different myotis species um, in Europe. And we have um, several myotis species uh, here. So um, yeah, we don't know to the extent that it might be a phylog um, uh, phylogenetic uh, difference between the two. But we do see that white-nose syndrome affects um, the species here in North America differently. So not all species are as, as severely as impacted as little, the little brown bat, um, but species across genera are also affected. So like tricolored bats, which are in a different genus, the perimyotis, um, uh, are also very severely affected by white-nose syndrome. No, there's not been any um, progress yet on eradicating the fungus. There's been a number of different um, attempts to do different kinds of treatment, um, and ranging from putting on antifungals on the bats. The, one of the really challenging things is that hibernating bats are incredibly sensitive um, to being handled and worked with while they're hibernating. So just the mere act of trying to apply fungicides to the bats um, while they're hibernating, wakes them up, disturbs them, and often kills them. Um, we have a project right now uh, that my grad students are working on of trying to look at what kind of naturally occurring bacteria um, occur on bat skin and whether or not we can use that in, um, to help um, uh, boost the, see if those bacteria inhibit the growth of Geomyces destructans on the skin, and can we use that in a way that might help prevent or uh, reduce infection? But that work is very much in progress. <laughs> I actually started graduate school the first time at the University of Montana at Missoula, um, and, and I dropped out. <laughs> Um, I had for a long time, I did my undergraduate degree in environmental studies and for a long time I couldn't decide whether I wanted to be a scientist or um, to, to be a science writer or um, 
uh, interpret science um, for, for people. And so I kind of had one sort of foot in each door. And so I actually started grad school um, with the idea of still sort of on that fence. And once I started grad school uh, in a program that was really designed to be um, more sort of interpretive about science rather than doing science, I, I realized at that point that's when I was going to um, uh, actually really want to be a scientist. So I dropped out and then, um, and then reapplied um, to be in an, an actual um, uh, science grad school path. Um, I got interested in studying bats about um, 13 years ago. Um, I was uh, um, sort of in between college and graduate school and um, started uh, working for somebody who was a, um, a bat biologist uh, as their field assistant. And um, we fell in love, and I fell in love with bats. And we're now married, and I still study bats. Well, bats are a fascinating um, group of organisms. I mean, I think I would feel passionately about any uh, organism that I would work on in terms of um, conservation and, and, and protection. Um, and bats in particular, you know, they, they can be um, sort of misunderstood and, and there's, you know, sort of different myths and these ideas that they're, you know, these sort of creepy animals that get stuck in your hair, which is, you know, totally um, false. But... Um, you know, they're, uh, they, a lot of people don't realize that bats make up a quarter of all mammalian diversity. They're incredibly diverse. There's about 45 different species of bats here in, in, in the U.S. Um, and so only the rodents are, are more diverse than bats in terms of mammalian diversity. They do, they're the only mammals that can fly. Um, they, um, they echolocate, and so they um, you know, do some very unusual things um, and uh, are just really sort of fascinating uh, to work with and to study. There's so, so much we still don't know um, about bats. Um, and in terms of, you know, uh, why should we protect them? Um, <clears throat> lots of the sort of, the standard answer to that question is that bats provide ecosystem services. And ecosystem services is this idea that, um, uh, that that they they that an, an ecosystem service is a service that either wildlife or some part of nature provides to humans that has some kind of monetary value. So in the case of bats, bats eat insects, and insects uh, eat our crops or uh, uh, bore into our forests that we cut down for wood or uh, carry diseases or, or or simply annoy us. In the case of mosquitoes, and so there's been a lot of um, uh, effort to sort of um, advocate for bats in terms of the, the role they play for um, um, eating insects. I've recently decided that I'm going to stop using that as a reason to um, advocate for the protection of bats because I firmly believe that um, bats have an intrinsic right to exist and be protected. Um, they have a right to be on the planet um, just as much as we do and that it's our uh, job as um, uh, as, as members of, of um, the animal community and as stewards of habitats to protect and respect um, animals regardless of whether or not they provide some economic benefit to us as humans. <laughs> uh, 
I guess, you know, for me as a, as a conservation biologist, um, that in this particular system, the dream discovery would be a way to protect bats from white-nose syndrome. Um, if we could find a way that we could um, uh, protect the bats and, and that they could um, uh, not be suffering from this disease, that would be fantastic. Um, at my heart, you know, what I, I care deeply about science and discovery, but I also um, care very much about, about conservation. I still try to get into the field as often as I can. Unfortunately, um, that's not as often as I used to. Um, I work on a, a number of different uh, research projects, and um, for, this, for the research on white-nose syndrome that I'm doing now, um, I'm really only kind of getting to visit um, grad students in the field, but I'm actually heading to Illinois in a couple weeks to get to go into a, a mine there and, and help with some surveys, so that'll be exciting. I do um, a bunch of research in, in northwestern Mexico, um, in Baja, California, um, and I spend usually um, between two and, and four weeks each spring down there, and I'm getting to head down there um, in about a month, so that'll be great. Now that I have a, a, a kid, um, field work's a little more challenging, but I've sort of taken the attitude that, um, that he'll just go with us. So he's, he's been, my son's been in the field in Texas and Baja and in all sorts of places. Um, so hopefully I'll get to keep that up. So I have a three-year-old son, and I spend a lot of time uh, playing with him on the beach or uh, wherever. Um, I, um, I also have two stepdaughters that are 16 and 13, and so um, I have a, a really fantastic family. Um, we like to go bicycling and um, uh, spending as much time outside as possible, um, traveling. Um, I love to travel and, uh, and um, like I said, I try to spend a couple weeks in, in Baja every, every spring and we um, kayak and snorkel and um, get to play outside as much as possible. I love being a scientist. It is one of the most um, creative fields. You know, when I was in high school, um, I had no idea I wanted to be a scientist. Actually, high school biology was the number one class that I skipped out on um, when I was in high school, and, and it was not interesting to me at all because it seemed like it was just rote memorization. Um, I think it's a tragedy the way that high school biology is, is taught. Um, and it wasn't until I got into college that I realized that um, science was a creative, um, a creative field, and I, I think it's actually one of the most creative fields there are. I mean, you have to, you have to actually come up with uh, questions that you want to answer, and then you have to figure out how you're going to answer that question in a way that's going to give you a definitive answer. Then you design the study to do that. Then you got to carry out the study and 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 problem solve constantly with things aren't didn't go the way that you thought they were going to go. And then you um, have to analyze the data and, and figure out the best way to analyze the data and and then write all that up so that someone can understand what you did. It's um, it's an incredibly uh, creative and rewarding process to, to go through all those stages.